Hello. Hello. La la la. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, all. Welcome. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, and it is the Stonewall uh, anniversary. Yeah, that's that's kind of. Um, I feel like I, 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 there have been so many other things I've been like looking into today that I haven't even had a chance to like visit on that. Yeah, it's uh, for those who don't know, it was um, one of the uh, what I would say watershed moments for the LGBTQ community, which took place on this date in 1969, where it's a common phrase called gay bashing that, that was uh, pretty commonly practiced, even in places like liberal New York. Um, police tried to raid a very still to this day famous uh, gay bar in New York called the Stonewall Inn. Uh, the people that were there were not having it and they fought back. And, you know, we're not, uh, we're not, we're not coming on here every day talking about, oh, it's Pride Month and all this and that. It is just a friendly reminder that there are communities in this country that, you know, they take the, the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to, you know, societal balance. They consider them othered and different and all that. And they just want to live dignified lives like each and every one of us do and should be able to do. So uh, never forget that. Um, but Jen, you want to introduce our wonderful guest who is uh, coming yeah. up. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to learn about this, too. I'm not entirely sure. Um so our guest, Jay, is someone that I met um, on our Gen Z report, um, who our moderator, CJ, brought in. I get somebody that he knows from organizing or and from um, a Discord channel, which, you know, I can't do Discord. So um, this is somebody who participated in a Gen Z report discussion. And I just I was very interested in this organization that they're that they're creating. And I wanted him to come on and talk about the, the organization. Because so many of these organizations get co-opted. So it's very important to get them at the very grassroots Ooh. point. Get them in the incubation stage before they have an opportunity to spread their wings too far. And then the the, uh, the establishment ends up co-opting them, which we're hoping is not Correct. the case with uh, groups like Climate Defiance. So we're here to try to help them steer the ship correctly. So without further ado, Jay Barlow, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing super. Good to see you. So this is our regular show. You had popped in on our Gen Z report. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully not, won't be the last time you were on our Gen Z report. But oh, I, yeah. I was just really interested in what you and Staz and um, I don't know like how involved CJ is like, but if you would just talk about the organization and what you guys are working on, because it just sounded really good to me and, you know, brain cells. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we are a online discord community that pulls from the audience of content creators um, and live streamers in the political space currently. Uh, and we'll be expanding over, uh, over the course of our existence to get more people engaged. Um, we think that it's a untapped market, at least on the left, that, uh, that these, these commentators that have large followings, whether it be on TikTok, uh, YouTube, Twitch, whatever, they 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 talk a lot about politics and they want to get their members and or their their viewers involved, and we're a resource for that. Okay, so when did this start? Like, what was oh, the gosh. impetus for this with this Discord group? Because you know, and and how big is this group? 
Yeah, so we started uh, last year for the 2022 midterms. Uh, I think the org was like founded somewhere near June, July. And so basically uh, one year ago almost, right? And uh, we were gearing up for the midterms. We partnered with a live streamer that was a political live streamer on YouTube. And we pulled from his audience and got a bunch of members uh, into our Discord taking action in the midterms. Uh, we grew to about uh, 8,000 plus members, and then we were uh, we were doing a ton of a ton of work during the midterms, and then eventually, you know, that cycle ended. You know, people people disengage. A lot of um, a lot of orgs like ours, you know, they take a back seat during this off season. But we were kind of excited to keep this community going and re-engaging people in some of the like special elections that came up. So we worked with, uh, we worked on uh, engaging our members in the Aaron Rouse campaign and the Warnock race, all these different, um, all these different elections. We worked uh, with a couple, a couple different special elections, but it was, it was just a really awesome time uh, to work with PV. I, I, I started as a, just a regular member and, you know, through my work in the media department of PV, I kind of just like rose through the ranks and became uh, one of the one of the leaders. So what kind of actions are you guys doing? Like, what are you I mean, when you're talking about content creators on the left, that's pretty diverse, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a pretty yeah. big community. And then you want to sort of like and, and forgive me because, the, you know, I don't really understand discord. And so when you're talking about this community, you're are you talking about people that that then translates to grassroots on ground movement, canvassing game? Yeah. Like, like, what does that look like in real life? So, yeah, so we had a lot of phone banking because like our, our community is spread out all across the U.S., so the unique thing about us is that through uh, online phone banking like software, we're able to uh, get people activated no matter where they are in the U.S. to phone bank for a specific uh, for a specific race or specific action. But we also we sent people out to um, to Virginia, for instance, um, on the ground. We got like Airbnbs for people to go canvassing. We knocked a bunch of doors. We reached a ton of voters through those different efforts. Um, and then now, you know, we are doing even more action besides just canvassing and phone banking. Uh, we also do text banking. Uh, we're going to be doing um, letter signing, like sending letters to legislatures and stuff like that. So it's just trying to get people engaged in whatever way they feel comfortable um, to achieve progressive victories. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I appreciate that you're being organized without being an organization, right? Because uh -huh. this is something that we talk about a lot is a lot of these well-intended grassroots groups um, start out, they're great. And then they're like, I look at climate defiance and I'm like, oh, I want them to stay solid. I want them to stay on point, but then it doesn't always work that way. And so when you guys are looking at yourselves as an organization, what is that in terms of like your, your, you know, management, administration, mm -hmm. like, is there a, an organization there that is primed to be co-opted or are you guys sort of like acting like, you know, uh, spread out? Um, we are pretty spread out. I mean, uh, like right now uh, we have the, like our leadership structure is we have uh, some core directors and then we have advisors and then we have leaders within the community. And 
all these people, except for one of our directors, came from the community. Uh, the One of the directors that uh, we have with us, uh, his name is Sam. He's the founder of PV, and all the rest of us just came from that community and just built our way up. So I think that in the last um, in the last like six months, we've been working really hard to make sure that we're primed to have the community uh, build us up and not and and let them shape the future of PV and not just uh, be this kind of um, standard org that's just forced to go in whatever way the uh, the money chooses. You know? Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And that's really important. And that's why I feel like it's important for me to sort of like, not like watch out, but I feel like some of these younger groups can easily be co-opted by very establishment um, nefarious forces that come in looking like we want to assist you and help you raise money and whatever. Yeah. And it's it's not good. So I just I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I think you're muted. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm trying to do That's some, all right. I'm trying to run, produce, talk, and all those things at the same time. <laughs> with Gabe Barlow of Progressive Victory. Uh, how have you found the response so far when recruiting people to come in? Do you have like a pretty big, I mean, here's the thing that I think a lot of people really don't understand about some of the progressive groups like Jen, uh, Jen and I, especially Jen, has a very good rapport with Vosh, who is a very noted uh, Twitch streamer and uh, YouTube uh, personality. And I, I think a lot of people really don't understand things like Reddit and Discord and the places that a lot yeah. of like Gen Zers and millennials tend to communicate. A lot of them are really stuck in this world of, well, if you're not just talking on Twitter all the time, then you know, you're not really doing anything. Can you talk about mm -hmm. kind of the groundswell of support? Because we're, we're kind of just getting this vibe, especially right now with the prospect of either a Trump versus Biden again type of situation in 24. Uh, there are millions and millions of restless individuals out there, especially in your generation. Yeah, I mean, um, as, as far as like recruiting goes, I think that we just have to have this... Uh, this diverse tactic of recruiting from all all angles. Like we primarily uh, primarily are focused on capturing the audience of these like large content creators, but also we need to be active on Twitter. We need to be active on TikTok. We need to be active on YouTube uh, to allow for that because we want to make sure that all of these different uh, these different communities that are engaged uh, in these in these different content spaces that they have somewhere to go to to do political action and the the discord community that we have is a place for like us to like live and hang out and get informed about how we work how you can volunteer how you can do all these different things but yeah i think it's essential to to like pull from all these different spaces for that goal right so you don't have like it's not like you have one voice Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you've got all different candidates in all different places that are people that could be supported um, by your group. Uh, and, and there's got to be a variance. You've got so many different types of communities and it's not all the same. Not everybody needs mm -hmm. the same things and you have to be. And that's one of the biggest problems I find with a lot of like groups that have a very strong center. Like, and not center philosophically, but center organizationally, because I feel like they don't have the leniency to really get involved in the context of different constituencies and different districts and different people. And it isn't mm -hmm. black and white, 
right? Like there are certain things. And so you have to be able to flow with that. And when an organization doesn't do that, I feel like it's very counterproductive. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think one of the, uh, one of the things that we've been building up, building up uh, over the last six months, but even really just in the last month is our state organizing program. So this allows uh, members from any of the states to propose action in their state and ask for resources. So say they have like a local candidate that they want to support. We um, we supported uh, Bob Shippey in the in the primary um, for uh, for his for his election. Uh, unfortunately, he lost, but we were able to like that was something that our community brought up, asked for support on. They they interviewed both of the candidates, both of the progressive candidates for that race, decided they wanted to support. Shippy, and then we mobilized on that doing phone banks, and we even got to meet the candidate, which was awesome. So having this kind of um, this kind of like grassroots style of allowing members to propose actions for us to do yeah. uh, kind of keeps us able to like ebb and flow with the different uh, the different communities and what they want. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I'm really impressed with this. And and I, I'd like to think that when I was your age, if such things existed, that we could communicate this way, that we, of course, would have done this. But I don't really think so. But <laughs> I, you know, the, just be gentle with the older people, because a lot of us really want to support what you guys are doing. And I kid you not. I look at that Discord page. Vosh invited me into a Discord. I was just sitting there. I didn't know what to do. All I see are emojis. I don't understand any of it. And then I made the mistake of referencing Reddit. Oh, forget that. <laughs> Those, they went crazy. Like well, apparently, crazy. apparently in the online world, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, but I think that the distinction between Reddit and Discord is that Discord is more for the left and Reddit is more for the right. Is there some truth to that? Um, I would kind of disagree with that. I think uh, Reddit is like just a forum uh, website, right? So you can create a left space in Reddit and there are plenty of them in Reddit, right? Yeah. And you have these kind of like feeds in that forum, right? So say you have like, um, like the progressive subreddit, then you have people posting progressive content, people commenting on that content and talking once amongst another discord is like a online communication, uh, media tool. So this is like a space that you create for people to talk to one another, chat on voice, video right. game together, that kind of stuff. It's more live time. It's more live mm -hmm. time interaction than uh, like a, a bulletin board situation. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Speaking with Greg Barlow, Progressive Victory. Jay, we know what the big dividing issues of the day are. Obviously, they are primarily wedge issues, like the trans issue, obviously. This big pride mm -hmm. is a huge one. What do you find are some of the issues that are uniting people across the political spectrum amongst millennials and Gen Z? Um, I, I think specifically the attacks against uh, reproductive rights. Right now, we are um, partnering with an org to, uh, to solidify the right to contraceptives because that's the next thing after Roe was taken away. That's the next thing on the docket for them to, to strike down. So we are trying to galvanize um, all, a bunch of different people, even across the ideological spectrum, you know, to, to, to stop them from taking away these reproductive rights for access to contraceptive. Tell me that your Florida team is helping out with getting our ballot initiative for our, our bodily autonomy back. I mean, I sure hope so. I, our state organizing team is really just like revamping over this last month. We've had a lot of like new structures put in place. And 
I, I think there's a lot of work to be done in Florida. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, there are many reasons for that one. Uh, oh yeah. Where do you guys stand as far as the labor movement is concerned? I mean, we often say that the two biggest movements in the country that will unite the most people is labor and the environment. How do you see the two coalescing together and what has been your experience so far with those particular major sectors of the of what would either be the left movement or more the populist movement, as I like to say? Well, I think that like uh, young young people especially are concerned about our future within within this world, you know, and anything that we do, anyone we support, you know, has to to keep that in mind for for our support. Right. So I don't know if we've uh, engaged specifically on actions for environmental change or anything like that, but it is one of our, our core values is, you know, fighting, uh, fighting for that. And then also, you know, like you said, labor is, is so uh, intricately twined with this that people need to be able to afford, you know, to, to live that way they can also, you know, take, take adequate action. Couldn't have said it better. Um, How can people support without necessarily participating in discord? You know, like that's the thing. Like, is there a way for like people to support what you guys are doing, even if they're not discord users? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, many, it's funny because many of our members, they got into our discord, but they don't engage there. And we, we get their contact information, like emails and phone numbers, and they can still sign up for phone banks and stuff like that without being an active member in the discord. But there's other ways to support us as well. This is like uh, donating to our pack, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to be having a patron set up soon. Uh, we have merch. I'm wearing uh, one of our t-shirts that helps us. Uh, we, a lot of our, our funding is going to be through these like kind of grassroots efforts to make sure that like we're supported by our community and those that want to support us. Um, I believe we have, you know, if you go our website, it's like progress.win. Um, you can donate on there, but you can also sign up and look at the different, uh, different ways to be involved on our website as well. I think progressive victory, progressive victory.win. Yeah. So you could type in progress.win or progressive victory.win. Okay. Uh, either of those will get you to it. All right, guys, definitely go check it out and support what, what this group is doing. Cause I think it sounds really smart and efficient. So yeah. And hopefully Jay, you'll come back on a Gen Z report one of these days. Oh, heck yeah. No, I, I, I had a, I had a blast the last time, you know, the topics uh, were very fun and and, well, we're uh, doing you know, a Florida. I, I, they're doing a Florida focus episode tomorrow that got postponed from last week. So they're going to be talking mm -hmm. about all the anti woke and uh, the nonsense going on here in Florida. So, mm -hmm. well, our community during our last uh, all hands meeting in quarter one, you know, voted for action um, about these like anti anti trans bills that have been being introduced in record numbers this year. You know, we had a lot introduced in 2022, but even more in the first half of 2023, it was like a record number uh, of anti-trans bills. Yeah. And our community wants to fight against that. And and we're uh, looking at many different ways to fight against that, uh, whether it be partnership with uh, different orgs that are also doing that. We want to be as efficient as possible. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel on some of these actions, but we want to be able to plug our community in to those actions. Okay, so that sort of follow, that almost answers this question from Mario. Like, do you guys do, like I say, cross pollinate with other organizations or movements? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. 
right now, like like I said earlier, uh, we're partnering with Americans for Contraceptives, or for contra- Americans for Contraception, uh, to to help in their efforts of securing the right to contraceptive because that is under attack. I mean, it, just in my state alone, there was a bill introduced. Uh, it passed through the legislature, got onto the governor's desk, and he quietly vetoed it. And I think that's going to come back to Biden when he's up for re-election. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite disturbing, to say the least. Uh, I don't really understand this whole Christian crusade, <clears throat> um, but it's all, it's all religions. They just happen to be at the forefront. Um, the well, separate- yeah, but, e- but even so, the, uh, there is like, even with uh, Americans for Contraception, they're partnering with or they're engaging with Christians that want Good. to secure the right to contraception. Yeah. So I think it's a winning issue even across the aisle. Yeah, it's definitely a winning issue. The disturbing part, as I like to say, when it comes to a woman's right to choose, is that it's more men that don't think women have the right to choose. Obviously, yeah. very uh, but we all yeah. know that there's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of different layers to why that is the case. And so, oh, yeah, of course, you know, when you're uh, dealing with the organizations you're dealing with, if you guys haven't currently locked arms uh, with Climate Defiance, I highly recommend that you do connect with them. We think they're probably one of the absolute best that we have going. Did you right see now. what they just did to Chuck Schumer's fundraiser? Chuck that was a. I did, I did not. Let, let me oh, they you. shut it down. They Dude, shut down his fundraiser. He, must have been, he was at some. He was at a fossil fuel fundraiser, which had to have been at some looked like a private cigar club on Park Avenue in Manhattan. And he clearly was wearing the best sport jacket he could get his hands on. It, he was he was really in his element at that moment. Like Schumer, unlike Pelosi, likes to try to play off this idea that I'm really one of you guys. I'm a regular Joe. You yeah. see him in my room and you're he, like, oh, he no. ran he, out of there oh. so fast. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Jay, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Obviously, yeah, of course. Amazing work. Uh, you're kicking butt and taking names, which is what you need to do. And, you know, just remember that both sides will try to co-opt you, whether it's... Just the- let us know how we can help you. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, we're, we're you know, how, how we can help you if there's anything we can do. So I appreciate it. Well, yeah, I mean, we really just, we want more people in the community, you know, becoming leaders, uh, stepping up, proposing action for us to do. Um, we're going to be... Uh, recruiting more people in the coming months, trying to grow our org. So that way we strengthen our numbers. And the last, uh, the last six months or even like this year broadly has been like our training arc, you know, we're, we're trying to beef up our structures, our, our infrastructure to make sure that we can support more members. And then also that we are able to support members that want to, um, want to not only move up within the org into leadership positions, but also propose action for us to act on, uh, nationally. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure I'll see you around uh, back on this channel at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Again, uh, progress.win if you want any more info. Thanks, Jay. Have a great night, my friend. You guys as well. Thank you. So it goes without saying that. uh, It's the young people, man. It's all about the young young people. people. But what you have to remember is that a lot of the young people uh, one of the things in particular that the Democratic establishment tries to do relentlessly is co-opt them and try to knock them off their perch and make them think that you have to just settle for simplistic, very tepid and small, minute victories, if you can yeah. even call them that. 
But at this point, what is considered a victory is taking one step back, one step forward and two steps back. Well, and also what's considered a victory is organizations that recognize the importance of local. Hmm. Couldn't have said it better. And that because really a lot of these organizations get very caught up in the big picture, in the national stuff. And in the meantime, they're not handling what needs to be handled locally. So the idea that a community is diverse and spread out can do that is really good. Yeah, I agree. And I think when it comes to these organizations, the, the hardest part is having leadership at the top that cannot be bought, that cannot be co-opted. Uh, if there was any indication from what we saw with Climate Defiance, uh, their leadership can, uh, committee is in good hands, and we're hopeful that they will stay the course, because it's very hard to stay the course. Yeah. You know, eventually, uh, you start protesting at certain events and making it difficult and exposing all of the big wigs that are really making the decisions in terms of how our energy system is run in this country, uh, how the economic system is run overall. And they will pull these people aside and say, what's it going to take? Hey, it only takes one in your organization to say, look, if we just keep electing the Democrats, you know, the fact is, if we're being honest here, one of the best things that Joe Biden has done over the course of his presidency is show people that if you elect individuals, regardless of party, that are co-opted by corporate special interests, particularly big pharma in his case, you know, tens of millions of dollars in campaign money that he took over and over again, you will eventually see that they will let you down. They will ultimately just try to bring you in to just try to perpetuate the system that doesn't change. And so I think a number of the youth in the movement are starting to recognize that fact. And so as long as that continues, <clears throat> it's going to make it it's going to harden the people in these outside groups to say, no, we will not be co-opted. We've seen what you do when these organizations get big and effective and are eventually going to really challenge power. We are not giving into your demands because we know that what we want is in no way, shape or form what you want or what the people who really run the show want. Yeah, I would just say that I actually uh, was not remotely disappointed by Joe Biden. I, I got exactly what I anticipated. Um, he flat out told us nothing will fundamentally change. So the fact that anybody acts surprised by that is is interesting to me. I, I'm not remotely disappointed. This is exactly what I figured would happen. So well, you can only be disappointed if you have expectations. Well, the guy's got 50 years of proving that he is open for business, that that is uh, uh, going back to a video when he was in the Senate, going back to, I think, like 1972. There's a video of him saying, I was ready to whore myself out, but they wouldn't take me. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what more you need to see. And if you need any more proof, I mean, for anybody who didn't see the so-called uh, event that went on today. Now, look. We have said repeatedly that when the president did what he did, when it came down to uh, what he was going to do regarding the railroad strike, and when he did that, he was basically channeling uh, now Ronald Reagan in a way that I don't think anybody could have ever anticipated that he was going to do. I think he's actually, I think Joe is to the right of Reagan. Well, in some ways he is, and that's a scary thought. And so as a result, we now have this new concept that is being talked about 
uh, which we'll get into with our wonderful guests we'll be bringing on in a minute. Uh, but I think it, it really does go without saying that if you're selling yourself on this idea of Bidenomics, you know, Reaganomics is the first thing that comes to mind when you see a word like that. I, just, I don't know how they can still sell this shit. Even using a word like that, the whole concept, the whole market, it is, look, I feel like, again, the 80s called, they want their politics back. This shit is not working. I can't, just giving a name to something that doesn't have a name. What the F is Bidenomics? You know, right. like, is, somehow that is a thing. That's not a thing. Well, let's, let's bring on our main guest for the evening, somebody who knows a thing or two about grassroots organizing and what it actually means when you advocate to get people to sign up to vote even though there is this idea that you could somehow sway it towards one political party. And look, a lot of people know what the intentions are of a number of these organizations, but what I think a lot of people are failing to realize, whether it is the youth or frankly, people of multiple generations, is that yes, you can get people to register to vote. The problem is, is that they're registering in a way that you don't want them to do. And so when most people are overwhelmingly registering as independent, and then are registering as Republican, and then way down the line are registering as Democrat, maybe it's time to internally review what it is that your party is doing and failing. Now, everyone likes to say that, but as I often say, the reason they're not assessing what the real reason is that people are not registering within their party is because they already know what the answer is. When you are co-opted by corporate special interests, you are not going to get a wave of support, regardless of what's on the other side, because they already know what to expect. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. But if anyone can speak on this account, it is our wonderful guest this evening who has been a major voter registration grassroots organizer in the state of Georgia. Marcus Farrell, welcome to Generational Change. Hey, how are you guys doing uh, today? Thank you guys for having me on. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining. I appreciate y'all. No, um, and I went through, uh, I like what you guys are talking about. And when somebody even mentions the word Reagan as a black man, I think about the CIA. I think about a whole bunch of things. There's a certain way that I can look at it uh, when it comes down to just mentioning that man's name. So Reaganomics is, is almost a trigger word for me because Reaganomics, there's always somebody at the bottom of the barrel and um, people end up getting pissed on and they want to call it rain. Right. Well, do you think Bidenomics will be any different? Oh, come on. Uh, no, that, with 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 more sort of gatekeepers saying the same thing, right? Um, yeah. Uh, we we have to we have to be honest about what um, the, what mechanisms what mechanisms happen when um, when we're talking about an economic platform for anybody currently in power, right? Uh, I look at things from a black liberation standpoint. I look at things from a from a black man that is that is born and raised in the South, right? That has uh, since the year, since the year of our Lord, nineteen ninety six, and I'm gonna age myself. I've been voting for people who who basically I've been told if you don't vote for this person, um, uh, all hell will break loose and 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 Earth will be over. But the problem is, is that that is a never ending situation, right? That has never changed. Uh, uh, the, the best of both evils have all, has always been 
um, front and center when it comes down to my population and populations of Georgia voters and also voters nationwide. Um, when they give us one option and they say, if you don't do this, uh, then you are uh, you are the the problem with society. You are going to be the reason why. And as a person who um, I used to be the chief of staff for New Georgia Project, uh, New Georgia Project in total has probably registered over two million voters in the state of Georgia uh, during my tenure as the chief of staff. We registered about four hundred fifty to five hundred thousand uh, voters while actively being. Uh, seeing our voters being uh, real voter suppression. And I'm talking about putting police cars in front of uh, voting locations to dissuade black and brown voters from showing up, from changing locations at the last second, uh, the day before the election, and, and then legally trying to make sure that people, they they even had a poll test up until 2000 and, uh, 2017 at one voting location, uh, like a test of your intelligence to make sure that you were able to read and write. And, and, uh, and we had to go to, we had to go and sue the state. Um, would Biden economics be different? I, there, yes, there is going to be a certain twinge of difference, differences because in the eighties you could just be blatantly racist. Right. And you can also be like, you could just be blatantly uh, anti uh, blatantly capitalistic as yeah. fast as, as much as you possibly can. And you have to hide um, sort of your corporate sponsorship um, with a, with a person of color or a black person or a, or a LGBTQIA twinge to it. Right. So the message might not be different, but the messenger might be different. And the people who are included in the good package of the things that do happen might be a little bit more people of color. But just just because there's a black person who's making a billion dollars and not giving anything back to the community doesn't mean that the whole economic system is good. So that, that's how that's how I, I see these things. Right. Um, and and to be quite honest with you, we, we're going to need um, we're going to need an overall economic plan that starts from the bottom up not from the top down. And as it stands right now, no matter what we have, that's the same situation, whether we're Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, something that we've been seeing a lot over the past couple of electoral cycles is this, this awareness of how the Democrats have been really playing the black community for like generations at this point, right? Like, and we've been seeing this level of Almost like, you know, even when Joe went on the breakfast club when he was running and he made that ridiculous comment, there is this sort of like this sort of presumption that that somehow the Democrats are owed your vote. And when there's any indication that that's not the case, it's like you the voter shaming, the all of it. And it's I really don't see what the difference is in terms of what have they done for you lately? Well, um, so I didn't give my whole resume. I used to be the National Black Outreach Director for Bernie Sanders in 2016. And I was the first, um, and I also got the first black mayor of Jacksonville, Florida elected. And I've also worked for a Joe Biden PAC at one point, because when you're a political operative, sometimes you don't necessarily have the option of, of working with your beliefs. <laughs> I hate to be like that, but you know. When That's reality. 30, yeah, that when you make a $30,000 a year and somebody yeah. says, hey, hey, you know, I'm going to pay you 90. Hey, you, you go for it. And I don't necessarily feel good about the, some of that work, but this is what I am going to say. Um, the Democratic Party uh, does have people within the party that do want an honest, legitimate change. 
we I would be lying, I would be lying to a lot of my friends and lying on them if I said that some of them didn't understand that reparations is a conversation that needs to happen in America. That issues of our community like, you know, stopping Cop City from happening in Atlanta, Georgia, where they not only environmentalists should be pissed off, democratic environmentalists should be pissed off, but black elite gatekeepers should be pissed off also. They cut down, Atlanta has the largest amount of forests in, in America for any metropolitan city, the largest amount of forest, the large, largest forest land. And they cut down acres of a, one of our major forests and put it and put a cop, militarized cop training facility. They're about to put that into our, into the city of in, into the city of Atlanta in the middle of a black neighborhood. Um, the Democrats have had a lot of opportunities to adjust to what black Americans literally need when you don't do anything for us and then you expect us to do the same give you the same results year in and year out it's going to cost more money to pull us to the polls that's why in georgia alone in the 28 2020 election they in the primary they spent 750 million dollars in the general election excuse me to pull out voters when all you have to do is save that money and bring out policy, honest policy that will naturally bring people to the polls. There is a well-known thought process within the Democratic Party that's unfortunate. And the thought process is you're going to vote for us or you're voting against yourself. Right. When when there's not necessarily the uh, a truth whatsoever. And then their tactic is using black gatekeepers. Their tactic is rolling out uh, a Jim Clyburn to vote oh. shame a whole state. Their tactic is rolling out uh, uh, any any celebrity that literally has no political acumen whatsoever, but because you see somebody on CNN or MSNBC on a daily basis, and that person is famous to that famous person, they get a call from certain elites and say, hey, why don't you come down to Georgia and say, if you don't vote for this person or that person, then you are uh, you are hurting uh, your own community. And the question becomes, and they, you hear this word a lot, but it's also been sort of ridiculed when Black folks bring it up now, especially because I'm proud of the younger Black voter. I am going to say that. I'm very proud of younger black voters because they're not standing up for the same things anymore. They're going to the Democratic Party is going to have a very hard time keeping young black male voters, young black female voters voting in the same direction when they've seen generations and generations of no change within their communities. Right. And we're talking about urban areas. We're talking about we're talking about urban areas where policing is militarized and we die on a daily basis. But there's a Democratic mayor. Right. Yeah. Right. And and uh, we're speaking with Marcus Farrell. Uh, you know, you brought up a really great point, Marcus, and I don't know how familiar you are with Jen, um, but Jen ran against one of the absolute worst Democrats. I'm, I'm tired of saying Democrats. One of the worst politicians in America, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, oh. in uh, 2020. Uh, one of the experiences that we took away from that run that I am sure you have experienced as well and would like to hear from somebody who was truly on the inside. This is much worse on the Democratic side than it is on the Republican side, because on the Republican side, you actually have to win races. 
But there is a cottage industry of the consultant class in the Democratic Party. And I am wondering, from your perspective, how much of this money that gets raised by the Democratic Party voters, donors, etc., how much of that would you say gets wasted on the consultant class, win or lose any election in question? Yeah, you, we're talking about the po- political industrial industry. Thank right? you. Yes. We're talking about, and it's the reason why we lose races, right? It's, it is the it, point blank. This industry is the reason why races are lost. It's the reason why you don't see uh, outreach in black communities at barbershops up until the October before the election. It's the reason why uh, you don't, it's the reason why you don't have victories. And let me explain to you why. Because a television budget, First off, everybody pushes television. And I'm not mad. Television does work, but we are in the digital age right exactly, now. Exactly, yeah. We we will spend somewhere upward most to 60 to 70% of our whole budget on a television buy. Now, let's be honest about these buys. Did you know somewhere around 95% of television buyers and television consultants are straight white men? What does that mean? That means that these firms... Are, are, who are who are well-loved and well-trusted by the Democratic Party, who are well-loved and well-trusted. They actually will insert these people. They'll say, if you don't use this firm on your campaign, we're not going to support your campaign. What's more important, my run for office or this consultant making sure that he gets paid millions of dollars? It's an industry. And they would much rather lose using a certain consultant then when talking to the auntie that's on the street who actually has access to about, if this woman says jump, the whole neighborhood says how high. Right. But we haven't but we haven't made a relationship with this woman because to be quite honest with you, we much rather send that money to a consultant out of Virginia, D.C. or Maryland who will come down to the state. Say, I've ran races down here before. I've won races down here before. When they bombard other campaigns with millions and millions of dollars. And I mean, like, look, there's a lot of good people who do this work. Don't let me try to sit up here and knock everybody because yeah. that's not no, the point. But but we have to but we have to be honest about why directions of campaigns go the, the way that they go. Let me, I, I got one brief example and then I'll and then I'll relinquish. Uh I was the I was uh, a part of the Jacksonville mayor's race in, in, um, in Jacksonville, Florida, when the first black mayor got elected, his name was Alvin Brown. Uh, the Democratic Party supported a moderate Republican in the primary. We went and knocked on every single black door in that city four times. And it was one of the most amazing upsets in the history of Florida politics. When we got to the primary, the Democratic Party said, you know what, that worked in the primary, but it won't work in the general. So we had to fight, argue, and scream for resources to get to the field. While the television budget literally was somewhere around $4 million to $5 million, our budget was around $500,000. We managed to make people work extra hours for $10 an hour, $8 an hour wage. And, and I feel really bad about that. But they wanted to because they wanted to see this man uh, win. Yeah. And we ended up winning that race by, I believe, a, two points. And it wasn't the television move that was moving the points up and down. It was a consistent relationship with the streets. Absolutely. And I, I, 
And I'm yeah. gonna go, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to my deathbed with that right there. And in most elections, it's like that, right? Where the investments yeah. go to one person at the top and they don't go to the people at the bottom. Yeah. Well, we know, hands down, that a grassroots campaign, it's all about knocking on doors. It's about knocking on doors. If people like you, they'll support you. In most cases, they don't even meet the person. And I agree. And I think one of the biggest problems that we've been seeing over the past cycles is you'll see these sort of like progressive grassroots campaigns with very good intentions, but then they bring in establishment consultants and establishment people. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. How can you expect to have a different, like a whole paradigm shift when you're bringing in the people that have caused it to be this way? They have no incentive for you to win and change it. They like the election system the way it is. They're like white collar carnies. That's right. That's right. And more importantly, they're lame commercials. How many times do I have to see a person with their their sleeves rolled up and their one button down and a blue shirt and some khaki pants standing in front of a playground or standing on somebody's porch or standing in front of a church. And they say the same thing. And when I get elected, that's why I like that young brother that was out of Louisiana, right? Who literally rolled a blunt and was like, I'm going to legalize cannabis when I become, when I get elected. You know what? That's um, Chambers. That's Gary Chambers. That's Gary, right. I, I mean, but here's the thing. That consultant and that brother he used Never would have gotten the opportunity if he had went through the Democratic Party right. system, right? He would have only got the opportunity by actually knowing the candidate himself and coming up with fresh new ideas. If you're going to go on television, don't be lame. Don't be whack. Don't put whack things out there, right? How many times do we see the same exact verbiage out of these people? And matter yeah. of fact, these talking points have been the same for years, right? Like these same talking points over and over again. When are we gonna say to a community of black people, I'm gonna stop police from killing your kids? When are we gonna say to a community of LGBTQIA people, these folks are just homophobic? Like don't beat around the bush. I'm not protecting anything. I am going to destroy Republican thought process on LGBTQ issues, right? Like we're not strong and that's because we're dealing with a bunch of scared people who make a lot of money doing the same thing, being safe, losing races, and failing upward. Yeah. There's no question that this has become a major problem within the party. Uh, We saw it all throughout the course of both major primaries, of course, where we stand right now, and we know that this is only going to continue. But now it seems that the corporate establishment is kind of losing control of the narrative to a degree. That's why we see so much uh, embracing of censorship. Uh, you know, anytime you censor one segment of the population, it's always going to come back to get working people. Those are the first that will always suffer. And of course, it's always done to protect capital. That's one of the reasons why so many people have drawn themselves away from the whole idea of capitalism altogether, which is not surprising. And now you have to wonder uh, to what lengths are they going to go to because the whole vote shaming thing is starting all over again. But I don't think they... I'm not sure they really care if it has the adverse effect, which I think it always does. If you tell somebody not to do something over and over again, eventually they're just going to say, F it, I'm going that way just because you told me not to go that way. That's right. Uh, Do you, uh, I mean, right now, things are just looking so bleak, but what do you see is the path forward for the, not even the progressive movement, just the left populist movement. I mean, we have talked time and again that everything basically is riding on 
labor and the environmental movements to basically coalesce together, check their egos at the door, and recognize that the fight is a class war, nothing more, as I like to say. Um, I have... I have a couple of things on this. I want to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, from my opinion, right? Sure. Um, I was Stacey Abrams' deputy campaign manager at one point during his, her, her, uh, her run for office and the, the first time around. And we had this, and we had this same exact conversation. Um, so let, let me just, let me be very honest, right? Yeah. The one thing that's going to change everything is time. Because people are dying. And this is going to be one of the first generations that actually when these 21 year olds become uh, when these 21 year olds become 50 and 40 and, and 60, they're not going to just become more conservative because they understand that the the almost the almost fascism of America and almost uh, dictatorism of the Democratic Party has not worked out well for our communities. That's that's the first thing that's going to fix everything is time. Because we're just going to have more people. Uh, unfortunately, the evolution works like that. No matter how, no matter how much they try to. Because I mean, listen, this is conservatives. This is some conservatives. This is white evangelicals' last dance. Their their church is basically dying at, at this point, and their ideology. So, what happens when you're back into a wall? You lash out as hard as you possibly can, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I do believe environmental. List, I do believe um, environmental and labor issues, but guys, y'all can't forget about something. There's 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 people of color, there's black folks, and I and I'm not gonna say people of color. I'm gonna say black people. Black people and black, reparations. Black, yeah, black I, people and I, reparations. Look, I've said this from the very beginning. I actually don't think we're gonna move forward until we pay our debt. Um, it's, it's a I, curse. I I I believe that. I think it is very bad karma. I think like from my, my, you know, spiritual self. And I just think it's a real, very basic premise. You owe money, you pay the money you owe. It's not complicated. And so I, I do not take that lightly. I think it's a very serious thing. And to me though, in, in that way, it's just a matter of, we know what needs to happen and we know what's owed. Right. Like right. we know that I don't we don't need an exploratory committee to tell us what people are owed. We already know that number. There has Come been. Numbers the Democrats, right? They have to waste a few hundred million on figuring out that we already know what the answer is to. So right. Hey, and then we can move on to potentially changing it. So what I it has to get done. So, no, I don't under what we're talking about, in a sense, is more in terms of like the actual on the ground movement and getting bodies out there. And it really does come a lot from pulling from those organizations. Um, Labor is just like such a good example of really pushing it right now. But my thought is all of those groups need to come together for all of those issues. But reparations for me is a no brainer. You, you pay your debt when it's owed. And I, I find it very infuriating. So I just wanted to put that out there. Like I don't discount that as an important thing. Yeah, it's and um, well, I, I'm actually talking more from a standpoint of political science, and this is what I mean. It's becoming more and more expensive for Democrats to pull out black people to the polls. Why? Because they haven't done shit. Point blank, right? It's yeah. be, so therefore, you're going to have more. It's going to become more expensive. One thing that progressives, somebody's going to take advantage of these black folks that our issues are not being tailored to by the Democratic Party, and I'm hoping it's the more progressive 
side of the house that actually takes advantage of it before Republicans figure it out in some kind of way and possibly even ever get over their racism and say, wait a minute, all we got to do is not even do it. All we got to do is tell people we're going to do something about the police. Democrats don't even do that anymore. It takes a death to happen, right? Uh, uh, We have a infant mortality rate of black women that is the highest, one of the highest in the world. Yeah. For a major country. And th- and we don't put that front and center. We have uh, we had we could have been inventing and creating job programs with the excess amount of money that we did went and put in Ukraine or the seven hundred and fifty million dollars that we spent on an election here in the state of Georgia would have helped the national program for folks to have jobs. Candidates should be running on things that help people. And, and I believe progressives have the natural have a natural platform to actually do that. But progressives also have to be very careful of not making the same mistake that the Democratic Party is making. And that is an expectation that no matter what happens, my platform is right. You should automatically come my direction. No, 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 no. Your platform might be golden, but you have to deliver that platform to neighborhoods so they can actually hear it and see your face on a daily basis and understand that you're a person that we can trust. If we could get that in each city in America, you won't have as many establishment figures. You wouldn't have Hillary Clinton going into South Carolina in 2015 with a 30 point lead, right? When they're right. You won't have that because people are going to say, well, what are you going to do for me? And, And when it comes down to the black American community, and I do speak from, a black aspect. I've done, I've ran campaigns all over the nation, but I come from a black aspect because that's my issue. That's my community that I have to work and live in and, and be in. And when I bring this up, I bring this up from a place of no one's addressing it. And these are easy wins for progressives. If someone were to primary, for instance, Dr. West is a friend of mine and a mentor of mine, whether you love him, love his run or haters run, he is a product of the Democratic Party ignoring Black issues. What he's, blank, doing, period. what he's doing is right. What he's right. doing, and, and, and it's perfect, and it's perfectly democratic. It is perfectly democratic. What's undemocratic is saying to someone, "Hey, you know what? You shouldn't vote for Dr. West, even though he's saying, "Hey, you know what, Suzanne? I see that you have a family of three. I'm going to make it so you can support your family of three." And not necessarily have to pay heavy cost in health care, but I'm going to make it free because I believe in that. Right. Why can't that be someone that Suzanne votes for? Why do you have to say, Suzanne, you have to make a decision better for the country more than you have to vote for a decision that's better for yourself? Because the threat of fascism. Well, let me tell you something about fascism and let me tell you about the black community. We have been going through this shit since we've been here. Thank you. Nothing has changed. What do you like? What? 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 What are you? Uh, are you gonna not have us in slavery? Well, you know what? We're not enslaved anymore. You got the police. You got. No I would actually argue. I would actually argue our prison population begs to differ. Um, I I would actually argue we are not past that. Um, and and that that is also part of the problem. And that's when we talk about those things about fixing them. The first step is to stop doing them. Okay. So, so like, 
we, yeah, policing is the extension arm. I feel like that's sort of the arm of that criminal justice travesty, but it's all part of the process to keep people enslaved. Right, right. I mean, and there's, and there's so many other issues when it comes down to the struggle of being a person of color, but a, a struggle of being a, a, a descendant of American enslavement that has not changed for our communities in total. When you talk about post when you talk about post World War II and redlining, when we talk about the war on drugs, when we're talking about reconstruction, and you think, has there been a moment when these things have been rectified? Republicans and some Democrats would like for you to think that when Martin Luther King gave his I had a dream speech, everything magically changed. No, everything's not. fine now. We had a black president. Carry on. Right. And that's not and that's not it. And I didn't want to turn this show into that, but I am going to say something. And this is a statistical truth. The biggest swing voter in America right now, and a lot of people don't understand this, is black men. They're the not biggest black women, voter. let me tell you. We can't get them to swing, man. Those no, women, no. They are fixed. Right. And and they're doing and they're doing what they think is necessary because because black people vote out of protection. Yes. Black black people don't vote out of out of risk, but black men are tired of it all in general. Yeah. And they are swing voters. And there is a lie and a myth that black men don't vote. When in actuality, we vote at a higher rate than white men do. <laughs> was, right. As somebody who is really in this world, there there was a there was statistical data that was done, particularly in the 2020 election, that showed that Trump had gained like a plus five to plus seven vote share in the black community uh, that had never been seen before. And what was so stark that no one wanted to talk about is that he got, I think, in excess of like 20 percent or over 20 percent of the black male vote. And that if if that's not. From, from a from a Democratic Party perspective, if that's not a five alarm fire, I don't know what is, because at some point they're just going to say, I the hell with this shit. You're not doing anything for me. Trump is telling us uh, yeah, you could totally be as successful as me. So just come to my uh, side. And you know what? To them, that's very appealing, especially when you've got when the attitude is, well, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well try with this guy. Maybe I might get lucky. Well, I right. think there's this there's this level of privilege and entitlement, and that's what you're talking about, like that you've been dealing with this crap forever. So when people are like, oh, if you don't vote for Joe, we're going to get Trump again. And I'm thinking like the people that I know in the black community, that's not that doesn't scare them. Like that's not that that's not the scariest thing that's going to happen to them. That's what scares white people in the suburbs. That's not what scares the people that are dealing with shit at a gargantuan level every day. Right. And then they send Jim Clyburn to tell oh, us. Oh, right. And Matt, let me say, <laughs> I, well, we send- love Marcel. So, you know, obviously we're, we support Marcel. But Clyburn right. to me is one of the worst examples of, or actually the best example of people that really screw over their own. And right. I, well, I, you see it and it's, it, it's, it disgusts me to no end. Well, let's let's look at it. Um, that that guy worked with Republicans to make sure that his district was the way it is, so he can live there forever, yeah. right? If that is not, if that is not Democrat, let me let me say something to y'all. Listen, did you whatever. just say Democracker? <laughs> no, Democrat. <laughs> oh my God, I thought you said Democrat. Oh, wow. I'm like, like, that's hilarious. <laughs> 
Listen, listen, vote the way that you want, right? When I was with New Georgia Project, let me tell you something. I guarantee you I registered over 20,000 Republicans, right? Because when you go out on the street, if not 50,000, right? If I had a, if I, if I registered, if we registered 450,000 people, that means that there's, there's a high likelihood that I registered maybe even 100,000 Republicans. I don't know, because that's not, that's not what I was doing. But here's the thing. If you go out and you register your people and then you give them a good, strong message about what you're doing afterwards or beforehand, they will naturally traverse your direction. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Y'all are. Yeah. Y'all better trademark that. You're absolutely right. I'm going to use that. Y'all better get me right now. We can't use that. (laughs) You're white. That's not going to work. Yes, yes, you can. Yes, you can. That could be y'all N word. She's impressed with with West. Well, you know what, Teresa? Welcome to the club. We're all impressed with West. He's impressive. That's why we like him. Yeah. Well, listen, we're trying to get him on the show, so you know we'll be uh, we're going to keep pushing along. And if you have uh, any, if you could throw in a good word, that would be amazing. We really want to tell him. Tell him that not that I think he remembers me because I'm sure he doesn't remember me. But if for whatever strange chance he does, tell him I won't be stupid this time, okay? Yeah, okay. Okay, I think, um, and by the way, I am a podcast host myself. We are, um, we are, uh, we run this little show called Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap. Sunday afternoon at five o'clock, it's Clickbaity Political Thirst Trap. It's myself, Mayor Mondale Robinson, the former leader of Black Male Voter Project, and this Benjamin. Is on, this is on YouTube? And this is on, on YouTube and Benjamin Dixon, uh, Benjamin Dixon, okay. Ben Dixon. We've had a show for about three years. We stopped for a year uh, and then we just got back on last Sunday. So I want to give a shout out to my brothers, brother Mondale, uh, brother Mondale and brother uh, Ben Dixon. Uh, and, and also, listen, you guys, this is an amazing format. I like what you're saying. Y'all keep pushing. Y'all keep pushing it. Y'all keep pushing it because without shows like this, Jen, without runs like yours, like I remember when you ran, I think I gave you some money too. You can check me on that. But I, I remember, I think we talked. Did Jen? we? I wish yeah. I remember. Look, I can't even, I, I always say to people to say, hi, we've met. And I'm like, you just got to give me a, a reference. I need like a context. That's right. That's right. And uh, I mean, and the unfortunate part about it is like I used to be a young Democrat in the state of Florida. Right. Uh, and I mean, really, really, really into it. And I used to look up to Debbie Washington Schultz like, oh, oh, so much, man. And then oh. and then and then I worked on Bernie's campaign. And and then I saw how rigged everything was but you got to understand something this is what i say to dr cordell west people who who don't like him running and anybody else running if the democratic party has told you we don't want anyone else to run then what do you we're not going to have a primary we're not going to have a debate then what if you want to run for president you're democratic right what do you do you run the democrats don't care about democratic rights no, they don't. And, and, but it's, here's, and it's like, here's the thing about it is that even if they were hosting a primary, let's say the Democrats said, hey, let's have a primary. Cornell West wouldn't run in their primary. 
No, no. He, so he, it wouldn't he, it wouldn't matter for him anyway. He won't get he won't sully himself in their sandbox. He he, he would he wouldn't. And to be quite honest with you, I mean, it would be a lot more fun if he did for me personally, just because. I was with Dr. West when we were going around the DNC in Philadelphia trying to figure out why the hell they wouldn't let Nina Turner on the stage to speak, right? Uh, Marcus, I can actually speak to that. I can tell you you exactly why she wasn't. All right, so fun little story, uh, because I was there too. Uh, So on Saturday, Bernie spoke on Monday. Nina was supposed to basically speak before him and, and bring him onto the stage. And so what ended up happening was there was the People's Convention that took place uh, not too far from the convention center. And I would say there was quite a few. There was several hundred people that showed up. You know, Jill Stein showed up and, you know, all the third party apparatus and people that were like, I'm tired of the Democrats. I don't like what they did to Bernie and all that. And so Nina shows up and this is the first time I met her in person. And so we're in this old church and uh at least several hundred people gathered in this, um, you know, in the old church room. And I'm sitting um, in the stage in the pew behind where the speaker, where, you know, where the, where the pastor would stand. And so she gave one of her take me to church speeches. And it was exhilarating to say the least. Uh, but the reason why she was not allowed to speak at the convention is because she introduced Jill Stein to the crowd and gave her a big embrace in front of hundreds of people. And this was done in front of, uh, I know ABC carried it and, and a couple of others uh, as well as I believe. And I remember and now Peter that, believes that's why she I got to my friend. As soon as she did that, I said, oh, this will play at the convention. You better believe it. And sure enough, it did. Uh, and you know what? To this day, and I love Nina with all my heart. I think she's one of the most real people you're going to find uh, in politics that will say what is necessary. And um, she could have she could have cruised very easily in her political career if she really wanted to. But she has made decisions that she felt were more important to her people as well as to the country at large. And I will forever be grateful for her for doing that. It's but called I, integrity. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. people should, should should look that up. It's but fascinating. I remember, but but I, I remember at that time I said to my friend, I said, oh, she's going to pay for this. And well, yeah, sure enough, it, it was worse than what I even thought they would. I want to I want to tell you guys something that y'all might not know. And this is important for me to say publicly. The black people who supported Bernie Sanders, unless you sold out. Unless you sold out and you know who I'm talking to. I know who you're talking about. Oh, I know who you're talking to. But but the black people who supported (laughs) the black people who supported. Bernie Sanders and kept their integrity. Are the most ostracized people in politics. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because you, you could be a white person, a white operative, and still get a job, right? But when you dare threaten the Black establishment, white connection to the Democratic, Black Democratic connection to the white establishment of the Democratic Party, that's when you become a threat. Oh, we we threw something called, I, I created, me and myself, Danny Glover, created something on that, on that campaign, and I hate to keep going back to it, but... Um, and this is a whole different episode. No, but so, so what you're saying makes sense, though. So in, in essence, what you're saying is people like Nina get it so much worse when they stand by something like that's principled like that is what you're saying, like that they just get it worse from from their people. Me, too. Yeah. <laughs> OK, and you, too. Yeah, OK, like, I'm sorry. Uh, you like, like 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 Dr. West. Like if I if there's so many camp there's so many black folks that were part of the black outreach team that 
I mean, but then there are some of us that succeeded, and I want to give a shout out to Crystal Spain. No matter what y'all think about her, she's the new, uh, she's the new chair of the uh, South Carolina Democratic Party. Uh, but y'all didn't know this, but she was also Bernie Sanders' first black hire, first hire in the state of South Carolina, right? Um, and she 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 ran that program out there, and she was the executive director, like you know. So there, there's. It's strange politics makes strange bedfellows. I love that woman to death, and I and I have more faith in her than than in some of the previous folks uh, that ran that position. Um, and and to be quite honest with you, uh, when it comes down to like electoral politics, what I'm going to say is this right here, and this needs to be remembered: the next Bernie Sanders that we get, the next progressive. Uh, stalwart that can push our issues at a presidential level and be considered legitimate. My advice is shut up and listen to your black people sometime. My advice is white boys from Vermont don't know how to run politics in Atlanta, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, um, off of OBT in Orlando, Florida, right? The Poke and Bean Projects in Miami. Um, I can go on and on and on for days and days and days and days. You have to politic differently, right? And I think Bernie had the message, but Bernie also didn't have the tactics. I have to be very honest with you. And I think that goes to back to what we were saying in the beginning as to who you bring in on your campaign. You know, you, you can't be having this revolutionary new whole campaign idea and bringing in the same old people that have been doing politics forever and expecting something different. And I think that was always where Bernie stopped short. He stopped short of just going that distance to really take it outside the box. At the end of the day, he still was playing in the box. Well, I mean, I'm going to be very honest. Bernie's first time around, he had a chance to separate himself completely. We thought so, too. Absolutely. Yeah, he had a chance. That was the only shot right there was in 16. His 2016 campaign was one of the greatest it was like uh it was like the end it was like andrew gillum's primary campaign versus his general election campaign it's one yeah, of the best things i ever saw and it's really special when that all comes together and and it hurts to this day because it i mean obviously debbie played a huge role she was only one in the equation but there was so much there was so much stuff that if you weren't on the inside you would never understand just how if you thought it looked bad on the outside imagine what it was like on the inside yeah, oh my God. the treachery that was going on Absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I know a lot of it. And the funny part about it is if you stay in politics long enough, you're going to end up be you're going to end up working with somebody who was a part of the treachery. I hate to be like that, but it's real. But yeah. what I am going to say is this right here. And it's very simple. And then I got to go. But I'm going to yeah. leave you guys with this last statement. Bernie should have said he supported reparations early. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to make this point and I'm going to let it go. Yeah. Reparations and Medicare for all at the beginning of Bernie Sanders campaign were polling at the exact same number. 34% of Americans supported it. Right? Bernie went and made Medicare for all the number one priority for American citizens. He did that so single-handedly by barnstorming it, right? What he should have done is did the same thing in the South for reparations when he had an opportunity. Right. And what I mean by that is a lot of black people down here look at Bernie like a contrarian. Because how are you going to give away free college? How are you going to give away free health care? But you can't give away our reparations. 
right? Like that's what a lot of a lot of folks are saying. And even if they didn't support it, they expected him to say something like that, and it made no sense. So my thing is this right here, right? We got to keep pushing progressive policy. We got to make sure Medicare for all passes. We got to make sure that our jobs are protected and healthcare is 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 important. We got to reform the police departments across the nation. We got to make sure our unions are taken care of and and all the safety for. Um, protocols we were talking about, especially with these trains. But there is a conversation that needs to happen about how you strengthen a progressive party and how you strengthen the progressives on the left in general. And my thought process is Democrats are bleeding black voters right now, whether you believe it or not. You have oh, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll go and vote for Democrats. We will go and vote for them at a high rate, but we won't. But we will. We, but it's, called, it's beginning, beginning to become harder and harder and harder to do that and spending more money to do it because no one is following these gatekeepers blindly anymore because our, our pockets are getting fat. We can't even take care of our families. The job of the Progressive Party, while they expand these conversations around health care, is to take every single one of their talking points and bring it to Black America and say, this is what we have planned. I agree. I thought I've thought about this the whole time when we were running and I it was very upsetting to me that more people at the congressional level weren't talking about it when we were running. I had it on our platform, um, but most people didn't have that. Like that was definitely not as common as it should be. Um, but, yeah, I don't see how we go forward without paying the shit that you're that you owe. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, and also there's a conversation about natives also, but I got to bounce. Okay, thank you so much, Marcus. Cannot thank you enough for coming on. Guys, uh, please check out uh, MarcusFerrell.com. And we would love to have you back again because we have to talk about the biggest grift of all time, which was the three candidates that decided to run against Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> they were going to lose by 30 points. And some You'll come back, there. right, Marcus? Absolutely. I'll, come okay. yeah, I, I, I'll be back on. I am opening a dispensary in Chicago right now. So, uh, so I'm in Chicago traveling. That's why I'm not in front of my laptop. Uh, so right. you guys wish me well, and I'll give you some more Good information luck. on it. Amen to uh, Peace out. Bye-bye. Definitely one of our uh, best guests, even in oh, it's great. short definitely uh, great. window. Look, time. I mean, the people that see what we see, it's definitely easier to communicate with them. Yes, because he's really been there. And you know what? He he probably loved what Stacey Abrams was doing initially and knew that Kemp and his cronies did everything in their power to rig that election and succeeded. And the attitude from the Democratic establishment is, well, you could win potentially, but you kind of have to play our game. And if you want to play our game, then, you know, you you might get lucky next time around. And so what that transitions to, which I think is a really great point, is for us in Florida, we have been stuck with one of the absolute, if there is one politician and only one, Worst politician in the state of Florida than Debbie Wasserman Schultz, it's Senator is, is Rick Scott. Voldemort. He is Voldemort. He's an evil man. Oh, yeah. That's simple. And if you want to see just how evil he really is, uh, we're going to entertain you now because... Uh, Are you going to play that, that lovely clip of him displaying how ignorant he is? He is very ignorant, but ignorant to the point of hilarity. Uh, but he doesn't stop. This man doesn't understand what he's talking about. Let me just be clear. Well, the problem, of course, is that there is a 
very dangerous hidden message in what Rick Scott is saying. And we'll explain after we play this clip. Let me give you a, a travel warning. If you're a socialist, communist, somebody that believes in big government, I would think twice. Think twice if you're thinking about taking a vacation or moving to Florida. We're the free state of Florida. We actually don't believe in socialism. We actually know people. We Some people understand lived under it. We know people lived under socialism. It's not good. It's not good for anybody. So if you're thinking about it, if you think about coming to Florida and you're a socialist or communist, think twice. We like freedom, liberty, capitalism, things like that. First of all, he did sort of sound drunk. Okay, I want to point that out. Like well, he sounded like he was also like, reading off of a teleprompter. It was terrible. But first of all, I'd also like to say, hey, Rick, you already have socialists among you. Hi. Like, what does he think he's going to do? Like, bar people from like, first of all, Rick, we don't have freedom in our state right now. I have no bodily autonomy. So we obviously don't like freedom in Florida. Just saying. There's socialism, all right. There's socialism for the rich because the rich can't lose. They. You know, the capital. But he doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't well, know what he's talking about. Well, what's even worse is that it's, it, well, it was clear as day that he was reading off of a teleprompter. He wasn't just winging it. It he sounded was, like his words were slurring too. He didn't sound right to me. But in any event, he doesn't understand what socialism or communism are. He doesn't understand, clearly. What he's basically doing as well is he's also threatening people in the same, in the same breath. He's basically letting them know that, oh, yeah, if you're a socialist in the state of Florida, we're going to come after you. You are in trouble if you don't support our kill or be killed capitalist ways here in the Sunshine State. Because that is his attitude. Well, it's just it's interesting to me. And I find this it, I, I often talk to people about, you know, how we use these terms. You know, we're constantly throwing out terms and isms and labels, and we really don't, most people do not understand what those things mean. And people like Rick Scott prey on that. So they're going to just use those words. They're just sort of like red flag. They're, it's like putting a red cloth in front of a bull. They're just using incendiary language that they know is going to, but they don't know what, even if he does know what he's talking about. He's still willing to sit there and use that language to stir up other people. And I really think that right there was somehow like a vote grab in South Florida. Yeah. I don't know who he thinks he's appealing to. South Florida. He thinks he's appealing to the Miami-Dade. He's talking to Cuba and Venezuela. He is. But, you know, leave it to our good friend Nina Turner, who always comes in with a very credible clapback, which of course is, do you have any condemnation for the white supremacists in the state? And as it would stand for somebody like a Rick Scott, for those of you who don't know, Rick Scott is as white elitist as it gets, but he didn't He's get- He's the it. richest member of Congress, right? Or the Senate. Right? He's the richest Senator. Uh, I think he's the richest overall. He's worth over $200 million. And his money, for those of you who may know, may not know. It's blood money. It's blood money. He made his money through the biggest Medicare fraud scam in the history of the nation. It required him to take the fifth on the stand 
75 times when he was prosecuted. And somehow- He should be in prison. He should be in prison. He absolutely is a criminal. Uh, He was able to get away with it because one of the things about white collar crime in this country, ladies and gentlemen, is that you can make so much money over the course of your criminal behavior, which of course, in the case of a Medicare fraud scam, uh, that actually involves killing people. You know, when you're taking people's ability away to get necessary coverage. I mean, I remember seeing an episode of American Greed years ago, one of the worst episodes they ever had to put forward was this doctor who was diluting the potency of cancer medication for his patients and eight of his patients ended up dying. Now, this man ended up going to prison for the rest of his life, and rightfully so. But because of the fact that Rick Scott was a cottage industry and was able to make hundreds of millions of dollars, he was basically able to lawyer his way out of going to prison. And so now he is somebody, and, and this is where the conversation comes full circle. You would think with all of this horrific, you know, dirt, blood on his resume, For somebody who has won statewide office in the state of Florida since 2010, that's how long he's been at this. He's been at it for 13 years. And now one of the reasons why he apparently put out this video is because there is chirpings that he may actually jump into the presidential race. And you know what? Why not? And the reason I say that is because the Democratic Party has never, ever put up an ample challenger against this man in the four general elections that he is now running. He manages to go up against a candidate that is just a little shittier than he is. Is that by accident or is that deliberate on the part of the Democratic Party? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel like here they just have no they have no plan. They have no plan here. The fact that they spent what they did to put Val Demings up against Marco Rubio was very telling. Um, I don't I don't see what their plan is. They don't have a plan. (laughs) I mean, if I was running against Rick Scott, my statement would be very simple. Uh, If you believe in having health care, especially Medicare, uh, you would probably have a problem with somebody who has made it his entire career to take those benefits away from you. He has blood on his hands, and that's how he's treated. And nothing more. I would just call him a the biggest Medicare fraudster in the history, the medic the biggest Medicare fraudster in the history of our country. And that's how I would address, I would not address him as Rick Scott. I would say, well, the biggest Medicare fraudster in the history of our country is running for the US Senator, running for governor. And I would have just done that every single time, every time. Every time. That would have been the soundbite every time. And eventually people would have come to know it because most people don't know how to market themselves properly and get that word out there to make them think, well, you know, maybe there's something to that. And then eventually you figure out, yeah, there actually is. A total and utter devoid of any true human emotion, human being, if he is one who also happens to live on one of the most expensive streets in the whole country. I've seen his home. Yeah, I don't care about this. I really don't care about this. I'm very warm. I need to go deal with my thermostat. So what are our plans here for coming up in the near future? Great. Thanks a lot for cutting me off. I'm sorry. I'm so warm to go deal with my thermostat. Um, 
next Monday, we have not uh, figured out yet, but we're working on it. Uh, next Wednesday, we will have the African uh, Socialist Party. Yeah, yeah. Right. The African people's, it's like the African people's socialist movement. Correct. Uh, for those of you who are here and appreciate the work that we've done and obviously appreciated the conversation with Marcus and we will definitely have him back, please go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a wonderful supporter of our channel and you will get the Lulu sticker as an intro gift. Is Lulu around by any I, I was just holding her before. I'm not picking her up again. She's had a very long day. We, she and I did like a two mile hike, which for her little legs is quite a bit. For the $10... We still hold out hope that Mansion Parliamentarian is going to be the ticket. No Labels Party is working its butt off to try to make this a reality. So we'll see if that ultimately comes to pass. And of course, if you are so generous to become a $25 a month patron, and frankly, if you just donate $25 to our channel, and you could do that at Cash App, Jen is wearing one, I am holding one, you get yourself the Generational Change jersey. And so this is the back of the shirt. As you can see, it's really awesome. You know you want one. And any and all support is truly appreciated on our channel. But as yeah. we suggested, if you really don't want to become a patron and put your credit card on the grid, please do me and Jen a wonderful favor. Go over to Cash App, dollar sign, Jen Change. It's how you can contribute directly to our channel. And we certainly would appreciate that support if you so choose to do so. Jen, before we wrap for the evening, we know that it's become a major talking point and everyone is going after Mr. Tommy Tuberville, Senator oh. from Alabama, and is the embodiment of what I like to call Dixie South politics. That is who this man is. That is what he represents. He doesn't hide his disdain for working people. He doesn't hide his frankly, outright bigotry in many instances, but he is somebody who was catching a hell of a lot of flack for trying to take credit for the broadband expansion that was part of the infrastructure bill, one of the few good things that actually is going to come out of it. Uh, and of course, uh, President Biden decided to roast him as a result. But you, on the other hand, have... Uh, a much more direct opinion regarding him, um, a much more sinister work at play regarding what he's doing, uh, particularly when it comes to upholding uh, national security nominations. Yeah, this is a real problem. I find it very ironic that the same characters who are probably so quick to be constantly harping on security, security, military, military, all of that, don't see this as a threat to national security. I actually think this is a threat to national security because the fact that you're holding up all these positions, I mean, right now you're looking at, we're gonna have a temporary and interim commandant, commandant of the Marines, right? Well, that can't be good for everybody to be interim. And this guy is apparently holding up like dozens of confirmations. But that begs the, qu the question as to why is one person, why is our system beholden to one person like that, where one person is capable of holding up an, the entire Joint Chiefs? Yeah. I don't understand that. Why is this one person capable of holding up all of these appointments? And by the way, do you know why he's holding up the appointments? Why is he holding up the appointments? 
He's holding up the appointments because he doesn't like this rule that allows for people on military bases to be able to procure women's health services and abortions um, off of their bases. And he's holding all of these confirmations until that provision that gives abortion rights access to our military um, service people, our military service members, until that's stripped out, that's what he's holding up. So he is simultaneously uh, hurting our national security while screwing service members out of their fundamental rights. That's what that that's what he's doing. He is the senator uh, elect that was able to beat uh, Doug Jones. It's not a surprise. Um, you know, if the Democrats actually, again, this gets, just gets back to the fact that the two-party system is completely effed in so many ways. People are looking this for- This person should not get a moment's peace when he leaves his home. No, he shouldn't. But unfortunately, Alabama is one of the reddest states in the nation. And it was only by, frankly, sheer luck that, uh, you know, Doug Jones was able to win that special election uh, when Jeff Sessions vacated his seat. But like what the message, the message of this essentially is that so as much as I care about our national security and our military prowess, I care infinitely more about subjugating women than I care about the safety of our country. That's what he said. He is prioritizing subjugation of women over the security of our country. And I just think that that's a very important thing to point out, especially for somebody who is, you know, probably all go red, white, and blue. Yeah, and I also think, and, and let's be fair, one of the things that I will say, um, and I'm not defending Tuberville in any way, uh, but the one thing that I don't think most people truly understand about these major bills that get passed on Capitol Hill, they are so chock full of, of pork that you wouldn't even begin to wrap your head around how bad these bills are. And Tuberville's argument is that the passage of the infrastructure bill was not going to give a fair share of federal dollars to the infrastructure needs of Alabama. Is that true? It, it could be. I, I'm not saying it isn't. Uh, but he did try to kind of take credit for the bill and President Biden let him have it. In the grand scheme of things, though, is that really the gist of what's going on here? Probably not. As I often say, and it's, and it's one thing when it comes to domestic policy, it's another thing entirely when it comes to foreign policy. The American public knows 5% of what's really going on. We can only surmise about what goes on. That's why we, when we were talking to Marcus before, I mean, he was really and has been on the inside of a lot of these campaigns. And if you think it looks bad to us on the outside, especially during Bernie's 2016 campaign, Stacey Abrams' 2018 campaign, you can imagine what it looks like on the inside and how much worse it really is. And you can imagine what it would be like working on Capitol Hill and knowing that when you are an elected representative or an elected senator, you have to review these bills as a team and look at all of these line items of bullshit. But they don't. They, most of them don't even read this stuff. And by the way, I would also point out that it is set up purposefully that it gives them not enough time to read these things. The so you'll get 2,000 pages of something dumped on, of an omnibus bill dumped on your desk and they're voting on it tomorrow. So- it's not meant to be read. I agree. And that's what but that's also what makes the Democrats worse when it comes to passing bills 
of this magnitude because their bills are so exponentially bigger than Republican bills tend to be. And so there is so much stuff that you have to go through. If I remember correctly, do you remember how many uh, pages the Obamacare bill was when it got passed? No, it was was like 1,700 pages or something like that. Well, they do it on purpose. Of course. Chris Garrett, the key to understanding the purpose of a bill is directly opposite to the branding of the bill, usually. And I'll tell people my quick, like the best way to know if you support something or not, because if you don't want to read it, because some of these things like, okay, I did read the Patriot Act, but most people don't want to read this crap. All you have to do is look at the groups that support it and the groups that are opposed to it. You will know very quickly where you fall on that spectrum without having to read the details. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I can look at a bill. I can look at anything but based on who is fighting for it and who's fighting against it. And I don't even need to read the bill. I know exactly where I'm going to stand. We can't thank you guys enough for coming on this evening. Smash the like button, share, subscribe. Remember to tune in tomorrow night for the Gen Z report at 9 p.m. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. What will they be discussing again? Okay, so where this show right now is I'm still trying to find a producer. We are they're doing basically like three out of every four weeks. So last week's episode is getting done tomorrow. We're like we're behind, but they will be talking tomorrow about all the stuff going on in Florida with the anti-woke stuff. Um, and just in general, the kind of things that are going down in Florida in terms of like civil liberties. Lots to discuss, lots to cover. We hope you found the conversation as enlightening this evening as we did. Like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things. And also, if those of you who are following are not currently following us on social media, make sure that you follow Gen Gen Change FL, and that is on Twitter. And I believe that's our, uh, that it's on Twitter. But our stuff's all in the description. Our stuff's in the description. And you also want to follow Generational Change on Instagram. So make sure that you guys get over there, check out those channels, uh, subscribe there as well. We want to keep our content going constantly. Uh, Remember, we have this big initiative that we're going to really be working on, especially in the fall. When it comes to getting reproductive rights on the ballot, there's going to be a lot of door knocking that's going to be involved here in Broward County, as there will be throughout the state. So get involved. If you have questions, make sure to email us at generationalchange at gmail.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.